Welcome to STEM Unplugged, a monthly podcast designed to help you learn about STEM initiatives and to help advance STEM awareness. Now here's your host, Kelly Green. Thanks for getting connected for this episode of STEM Unplugged. I am your host, Kelly Green, the Chief Operating Officer of SciTech Institute, a collaborative nonprofit organization making STEM connections in Arizona and beyond. My team member, Claire Conway, is also on with us tonight to discuss exploring nature in Arizona. And my goodness, we just returned from the International STEM Learning Ecosystems Convening in Bay City, Michigan, where the team was working to build the Arizona STEM Ecosystem right here, one hub at a time. We had so much fun, Claire. We'll probably have a chance to talk about that with uh, our guests tonight. We're excited to have both Jacob and Justin on to share about the Green Drone Arizona Collaborative Project that I've been collaborating with them for the last couple of years, but really to talk a little bit more about what's happening with their eco-culture team. We're really excited to get to learn more from both of them tonight. Uh, Justin and Jacob are both program managers and natural resource specialists with the EcoCulture team at NAU. And Justin has a focus in GIS or geographic information systems. And Jacob has a focus on UAS or unmanned aircraft systems. Welcome, both of you. Thank you so much for joining us on STEM Unplugged. Yeah, thank you guys for having us. So, of course, we want you to tell a little bit about yourself and, you know, I've been working with you for a while. Claire has, you know, had a few emails back and forth. But what can you share with our listeners about the Green Drone Arizona Project and even the Ecoculture team? What's happening on your end of the world? We got a lot going on. <laughs> uh, so, so Jacob and I work for the Ecoculture team at, at Northern Arizona University, and we manage uh, two projects that are right here in the Phoenix area. So. Uh, riparian restoration project on the Lower Salt River called the Lower Salt River Restoration Project and a STEM educational outreach program uh, called Green Drone AZ. That's actually how we got connected. You were um, sharing the information and our chief science officers got involved. What a great opportunity, especially through the pandemic, to even explore um, ArcGIS and those systems. So we're kind of curious. Um, about that project, what have you been actually doing with the Green Drone Arizona project? And how have you been con connecting and doing the outreach with the students and the educators across uh, the Phoenix area? Yeah, so in year one of Green Drone Arizona, we actually just cold called teachers. And that's how we, we got our attendance. Moving into years two and three, we kind of uh, tried to find teacher information on websites. And we would email them and ask, uh, you know, if they wanted to enroll that way. But actually, last year we worked with our interns at ASU, and they created a sweet web app that allows us to sort of target these STEM uh, teachers throughout the whole state of Arizona, um, which also allows us to sort of target these underserved communities as well. So that's what we've been using uh, this summer to get our recruitment for teachers and schools as we come into this 22-23 school year. Yeah, and I think for, you know, everybody who's not aware of what the program actually was doing, I remember the modules and the students getting to interact with the ArcGIS uh, technology. So if they're thinking about it or wondering what in the world is this project, why should my school get involved? What would be like the highlight for, you know, both of you? What what would you say is one of the great things that have come out of the program, not only during the pandemic, but when you're able to get back out to the Lower Salt River? Yeah, I mean, 
you know, we really started the, the project um, <clears throat> to start implementing drone monitoring into our, our restoration project on the Lower Salt River. And at the same time, uh, create this, you know, space where we could do educational outreach to students. And so as far as an experience for students, you know, I guess I'll speak to it from the GIS perspective. And I think that's a super important technology that's used in so many fields today and so many different career opportunities. It's likely that everybody listening to this benefits from GIS every day, even if they don't know what geographic means. But, you know, to put it simple, it's like uh, it's the technology that's behind, you know, your Google Maps telling you where to go when you're driving through the town. So just getting students at, at the middle school and high school level exposed to that technology, I think, is really important because it's not often something that's covered uh, until you get you know, into college. And even in college, it's really kind of course specific if it's something that you're interested in or it's, it's related to your, you know, your educational path. So getting students that experience early on, I think, is just super important. Yeah, I agree. And I know you have the field trips planned where you actually go out to um, the Lower Salt River. I think Field trips are so important as a former middle school teacher, getting them out into nature. That's kind of why we invited you tonight, right? That's our theme, explore nature. So um, what about you, Justin? I think there's, I mean, Jacob, what are some of the highlights you've had? I mean, if I were to speak to it from sort of the, the UAS or drone side, I think what's cool is that this generation is not foreign to technology. Mm-hmm. Like even myself was uh, being under 30 as a kid, like we didn't have you know, laptops and you didn't have cell phones, smart cell phones and all that. And so the youth, you know, growing up, they're exposed to all of this technology and they're very interested in drones. I think showing how you can have technology be integrated into a primitive field like conservation is huge on our end. I think it's fascinating to see, but then you also see the kids' eyes just kind of open up like, wow, I didn't realize that you could do something with nature and have technology be incorporated. Yeah, that's fascinating. And I think it's really interesting to hear, you know, you both kind of touched on how important it is for kids to have those sort of eye-opening experiences, whether it's with technology or interacting with nature, can really kind of change their mind on the environment that they're in and the impact they can have. Um, And I'm wondering, you know, are there any misconceptions that you hear from students or from uh, collaborators or other that, others that you work with about nature in Arizona that just drive you crazy? Well, and, and Justin, didn't you work with the Forestry Service, right? So some of you have been out there in nature quite a bit. What about yeah, those? Yeah, actually, both, both Jake and I uh, spent a few years working for the Tano National Forest, and that's where yeah. we got to know each other. Uh, we were actually in undergraduate our programs together at ASU and interning for the Tano National Forest. So I only knew he was a drone operator. I didn't know he was out there too. (laughs) Good to know. I joke that we would uh, we would spend more time with each other in those days than we ever saw our family because we would be in classes together in school and then we'd be on work, you know, working together on the weekends. But thankfully for me, part of my uh, sanity comes with being outside, and so to have Mm -hmm. a job that's tied to that is really important to me. Yeah, that kind of leads into my next question of why do you think it's important? You know, this whole month we're talking about explore nature, get out into nature. I think you both have spent enough time outside. Why do you think it's so important for humans to interact and explore nature? What are some of the benefits or some of the things maybe we should encourage more often? I think that as people, we desire to have some sort of connection with nature. 
we may not all get out as much as we would like to, but I think that that desire is sort of embedded in us. Mm-hmm. Right now with, you know, we have, obviously everybody's very much aware of all the drought that's been taking place over the last several decades um, and sort of the situation that we're in. I think it's really crucial for people to get outside, experience nature, become more involved uh, so that we can hopefully make those changes down the road. Yeah, yeah and I, I, I want to go back to your other question because I, I don't think I really answered what the <laughs> big misconception that drives me crazy. And um, you hear it from all over, you know, uh, traveling people all over the world, all over the country, right here in the Phoenix area that, uh, you know, there's really nothing to do in Arizona. And it's just kind of this barren desert landscape. And that is just so incredibly false that it does drive me a little bit insane. Sometimes you got to travel a little bit to get to these places, but it's an incredibly diverse state. You know, you can be uh, in anything from sand dunes to alpine forests, you know, within a couple of hours. And even when we're talking about nature, I always like to tell people, because it's something you might not know, but like uh, Arizona has the greatest bird diversity of any non-coastal state in in the country. So Mm. there's a lot of incredible biodiversity and, and opportunities out there to experience nature. Yeah, that's a good point. I think if people take the chance to, you know, go all the way down to like Sierra Vista, I know know there's a beautiful riparian area down there. We used to run um, while we were at uh, Fort Huachuca. And I mean, just the incredible diversity in that little section and then going all the way up to up past Flagstaff or out near Pine Top Lakeside. It's just so incredibly beautiful if people get out and drive a little bit outside of the city limits. Make sure Absolutely. you have a full tank of gas, though. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even where our project site is, you know, on the Lower Salt River, that's just outside of Mesa. So, right. you know, 20, 30 minutes from Phoenix, downtown Phoenix. And again, like we hear from adults every day or every week, you know, people that don't even know that there's a river that runs right through our state, let alone the river that's responsible for kind of the settling of humans, you know, in the Phoenix metropolitan area. But just outside of Mesa, there's this place that's so drastically different from the surrounding kind of desert uplands where you have these giant, you know, cottonwood and willow trees. And it's just beautiful to kind of stand under. Uh, I'm definitely one of those people that needs that outdoor experience to kind of recharge. And so that's a really special place for me, not only because it's the closest thing I can get to, but it's just so drastically different from, from everything we see kind of in this big giant metropolitan sprawl of the Phoenix area, um, or even just kind of surrounding, you know, low elevation deserts. I would say if I were to jump on that as well, growing up here in Arizona, you know, you don't really see fall colors Mm. if you're within the city. Now, if you go like, like Justin said, just 20, 30 minutes outside of the Phoenix Metro area along lower salt in wintertime, you do see fall colors. You get to see some orange, you get to see yellow. So it exists. It's out there. It's just, not inside of this concrete sort of box <laughs> that we put ourselves in. <laughs> we love being here in Arizona, but definitely get out there. I'm I'm from uh, about 75 miles south of Buffalo, so I know all about those fall colors. But we also had snow, so I love it here uh, in Arizona <laughs> without the snow. I grew up in Arizona. I absolutely love it here. But it took me a very long time to realize that we really did have fall colors and just kind of recognize how lucky we are to have so many different ecosystems uh, within the state. And so many, you know, just with a short drive, you can get to some really different environments and get to see a lot of, um, you know, different types of plants and animals. And it's really cool to explore those different settings. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm wondering how... Uh, you know, we've talked about all of the really beautiful ecosystems in Arizona. How does your work 
uh, help to benefit natural ecosystems in our state. So I guess to take it a little step back uh, to talk about our project, in 2017, there was a wildfire that took place on the Lower Salt River. It's called the Cactus Fire. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't a huge fire, you know, compared to a lot of what we see uh, these days, but it did take place in this riparian area, which is a term used to kind of describe the interface between a, a water body and land, right? So close to that river, like we said, you see that drastically different uh, vegetation community compared to what we see in the in the desert uplands. And riparian areas are incredibly rare in the West and incredibly rare in Arizona. Uh, I'm talking about like less than 2% of total land cover in the West and the Southwest and uh, about 0.4% of land cover in Arizona. So these areas used to be a lot more prominent, um, but, you know, decades of human expansion and introduction of invasive species, all the good things we won't get too into, but uh, those areas are shrinking, right? So low desert, low elevation desert riparian areas are one of the most threatened forest types in the country. And so that's the work that we're doing with the Lower Salt River Restoration Project is try and conserve that place. Talking about those riparian habitats too, right? That again is how I got connected to you guys and working with the CSOs and really um, focus on those invasive species. Take us a little bit deeper and why is that so important to keep Arizona healthy? Why is it so important for our state to have those areas available? I think they're they're incredibly important, you know, not, and not only for wildlife and kind of uh, conserving natural ecosystems, for, but for us as people, right? We talked about that need and that kind of desire to get outside and certainly for us in the phoenix metro you know at least on the east valley that that spot on the lower salt river is the closest thing you can get to and it's also sort of if you look at it in the opposite way coming from three million acres of the tano national forest it's the very last stop before Mm. you hit that metropolitan area so you know riparian areas are incredibly important for wildlife as uh, travel corridors nesting sites uh, critical habitat and so they really need those spaces uh, and especially as those continue to shrink, you know, it's important to conserve what we have left. Are there any species that you would want to mention that are very, you know, like those travel corridors that here in Arizona, it's an important, you know, pathway for them? One thing that we always like like to talk to with people when we're out there on the Lower Salt River is just what kind of uh, wildlife is there. And we like to ask people what they think. And, you know, you get your general kind of, oh, maybe... Uh, so javelina or something and we're like oh what about lions because there's plenty of lions there what about bighorn sheep and deer otters and beavers which is something that usually kind of blows the mind of people here in the phoenix area but that area also the the salt river and verde salt and verde important bird area and so that area is the densest bald eagle nesting site in the state oh wow Everything, you know, and I don't want to leave out any of the little small critters because our friends at Scottsdale Community College will get mad at me. But, uh, you know, you're talking everything down to tiny ants to lions, you know, so everything needs that that place out there. That's pretty incredible. One of our um, CSOs made, what are they called? The animal enrichment objects for Cruz the mountain lion at the uh, Sonoran Desert Museum. And she was doing animal enrichment projects. So I think it is really important that they know about the different types of species that, you know, do live here in Arizona or have that as a pathway. So we really want to talk a little bit about awareness of STEM and what does this role of understanding what it is, how does that play into actually helping others conserve our natural places here in Arizona? Because 
you know, students are talking about STEM more often. Teachers are a little bit more aware. Even our families, as we continue to grow here at SciTech Institute, are talking a little bit more about science, technology, engineering, and math. Your projects are integrating those so that students can use their technology to help benefit through conservation efforts. But what do you think this, what are your thoughts about the role that it could play in the next 10, 15 years for the state of Arizona and the, you know, conserving those natural places that we have here? I'll just come out and say that in the next 10 years, the youth right now are going to be the ones that we're looking to for answers. Right. So they're going to be the ones that are using the science, technology, engineering, and mathematics to try to help solve whatever problems we're faced with. And unfortunately, it's probably there are going to be a lot of environmental problems, and we're always going to be facing this, you know, sort of drought challenge with climate change and all of those factors put together. But yeah, I mean, that's you got to teach them now because sooner or later we're all going to start looking towards them for answers. Yeah, we totally agree over here. <laughs> I can't believe thinking about in 10 years. Ooh, we, you know, if you think about a 12-year-old, a 6th grader in my previous 6th grade math class, you know, they'll be in their 20s either graduating from college or well on to their way to a career. I think it's it's important to identify, you know, what role they can play and how important their voices are. So just this past week, Claire and I had the opportunity, Daryl was with us as well. We went to the STEM Ecosystems Convening in Bay City, Michigan, and we took 27 students and alumni with us. And just the powerful um, visual of having the students at the table and then actually being heard and discussing with adults that are making these STEM decisions you know, at a, you know, not only at a statewide level, but we had like DOD STEM there. It was really neat to see the respect from the adults as the students spoke and shared their opinions. So, you know, obviously here at SciTech, we focus on getting the youth involved, like I said, not just at the table, but in the discussions. And we really think it's important that maybe we could organize them in these conservation efforts. So what other types of programs or activities do you think we could encourage the youth to start maybe at their schools or in their communities? Do you have suggestions for conservation projects that they could get involved with? Yeah, I mean, there, and there's so many great, you know, one of our goals with Green Joan AZ was to kind of build this community, right? And this network of of students and professionals and educators and everyone down the line that are interested in this kind of avenue or this intersection of, of technology and, and the natural world. And I think that was so exciting for us to get involved because I didn't start college until way later in life. And, and I think if I would have been exposed to some of these opportunities earlier on, you know, who knows, maybe I would have taken a different path. Yeah. Uh, ultimately I'm here now. But, and that's fine. And now I forgot your question because I started <laughs> rambling. <laughs> Conservation opportunities, things that students could organize or get involved with. Yeah. So, okay, there we go. Everything <laughs> from, from giant scale to local scale, right? Uh, so figure out a problem in your community. And, and that might be like a lack of trees that uh, aren't providing any shade in your neighborhood, or it might be a problem that you can solve on the campus of your school. Um, we do work a lot with Scottsdale Community College, and I know they're working on a, a pollinator pathway project for Maricopa County. And so even as little as like planting good pollinator plants in your yard, you know, uh, it, again, it can be small scale to giant scale and, and everywhere in between is what we really need to keep working on. Right. Yeah, I agree. 
I think we do want to know, um, you put it in your form, what's your favorite thing about the Lower Salt River? Is there something specific that is your favorite? Man, for me, I grew up on that river. I was there all the time. I fish there, I hunt there, hike, kayak, all of the things. It's it's the closest thing. It's 15 minutes from my house. As far as saying what is my favorite thing about the Salt River, I think it's just the diversity of activities that you can do. There's not just one type of recreation that you can go down and do. I mean, like I said, you can do all of those things. You can go birding. There's just so much to do and it's so close to town that it just makes it so much more convenient and near and dear to me. That's awesome. I know it's pretty majestic too. A lot of um, photos of the day have the horses and, you know, just people enjoying that while you're so close, it feels like you're out with nothing. You know, you're so far removed when you're out on the, on the river. Anything about for you, Justin, anything specific? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, my favorite experience out there is any morning that you're out there, you know, between mm-hmm. 5.30 a.m. and 8 a.m. and and that morning lights kind of coming over the mountain mm-hmm. and just lighting up all the trees and the birds are singing. Uh, those are my favorite moments. But for me, it's just my place to go to and get outside, you know, that that closest place that I can get to. So that means even if I spend every day of the week working out there, sometimes on the weekends, I'm still taking my little girl out there to show her what fall is, you know, or going hiking or going birding, uh, just going out to take pictures. One concept that always kind of blows my mind that I like to think of on the Salt River. So we also do work on the upper Salt River, which is the free flowing portion before you kind of hit that reservoir of, or series of reservoirs. And just to be, you know, spend a couple of days uh, rafting down that river and you're kind of watching that water flow by every morning or every minute that you're on the river. And you're like, man, this is the water that provides our way of life in the Phoenix area, right? Without it, we would never be there and we wouldn't, we wouldn't be able to get by today. So to think about that water kind of flowing through the canyons way up there, hundred miles away from Phoenix. And that's that same water, you know, that we're turning on the tap or water in our agricultural fields, providing us power, all those things. It's just trickling right through the canyons way up there. Yeah. I don't think everybody always thinks about that, especially those that are going out there to, you know, go tubing or be on the lake and play or not in the lake, um, but in the river play and have family time. Don't always understand how important that is to, you know, living here in the desert and having that, that ability to channel it in ways to sustain life. So I, that's a great point. I'm curious too, if I, either of you take out like novice groups, I know it's a dangerous time out there right now in the heat, but are you guys like tour guys? Do you organize trips? I mean, Claire and I will go this kayaking. Point, I think Let's we go. Could put, we could put an official tour guide on our business card at this point. Um, I think we yeah, should I mean, we like organize a SciTech outing. We can go out oh, to yeah. the river. Absolutely. Yeah, we invite all, everybody. We, we've hosted everyone from, you know, CEOs of giant corporations to students and everybody in between. We've done that. You know, there's a typical kind of mile long walk that we take people through that is uh, within the phase one of our project. So areas that we started working in 2018. And it's just really cool. You get to see kind of the aftermath of that fire that took place. We can discuss, you know, the topics, uh, speaking on what kind of invasive species we treat. You can show the comparison of areas where we have been working for a few years you have this kind of diverse mix of native trees 
uh, compared to those areas that we haven't treated yet, where it's just this big giant monoculture or stand of one type of tree. Uh, and, and talking about that, we're talking about salt cedar or tamarisk specifically. But you guys have our email, so whenever you let's want to come it. out, let's just <laughs> Darryl, wait. Daryl, are not. you going to go with us? He's in, he's in studio with us. He's nodding. <laughs> he's down. Let's wait till maybe after September. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. So I'm curious. You can really hear the passion when you're talking about this project. Um, it sounds like this is something you've really been connected to kind of your whole lives. Growing up, this has always been something that you care about. And I'm curious, did you always know that you wanted to go into this field? Was this something you sort of stumbled upon along the way. I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit kind of about your career path and how you ended up where you are now. Yeah, so in high school, I thought that I wanted to be an engineer. During my last, I guess it was a bit of my senior year, we had to solve a problem. I started getting into looking through all of the patents and trying to get all the documentation together. And I had a three ring binder that was full of hundreds and hundreds of pages. And I said, there's no way I'm doing this. <laughs> there's no way. Uh, and so, and, and I also think it was just for me, I didn't want to be stuck working on the same thing for potentially a decade. Mm -hmm. So then I kind of started at the community college level, didn't really know, kind of thought I wanted to be a game warden for our local game and fish here in Arizona. Uh, because I loved hunting and fishing so much. I did a ride along with a game warden down south during dove season. And he flat out told me that, uh, you know, be careful because if hunting is your passion, you won't do it if you have this job because mm. you're always going to be patrolling during hunting season. You're never going to get out and have time for yourself. Uh, and you might just plain old get tired of going out. Uh, so then I started thinking about, well, I don't, I don't want to lose my hobbies. Uh, and so I was actually in a watershed management class at ASU and I was talking to a fellow student and he kind of said, oh, if you're interested in, you know, watershed or ecology or something like that, I have a guy that you can talk to. And I thought, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll talk to him during, you know, in between classes. And so I started talking to him and he said, yeah, so I'm currently working for the Forest Service and this is what I'm doing. And I thought, oh, wow, this sounds really cool. So I started interning with the Forest Service and then shifted my classes from wildlife to more uh, ecology, watershed and plants. And I was a weirdo that fell in love with plants uh, <laughs> and spent so much time in college with a little magnifying glass looking at little pilos hairs on plants and all these other silly things anyways and so once i fell into my kind of love and passion for plants i knew that i wanted to be in ecology because uh, you know you can help manage wildlife species by controlling numbers and predators but at the end of the day everything depends on plants and water and so for me, it was if I want to help make a difference, I need to do it at the landscape level, doing ecological work instead of focusing on one specific species. What made you go get your um, pilot's license to fly a drone? So I was working for a consulting company in Tempe. And one day the department manager called me into his office and I thought, oh, great, I'm <laughs> in trouble. Oh, what did I do? Uh, and he said... You know, you're, you seem to be kind of 
up with technology and uh, we would like to make you become the drone pilot for the Tempe office. And I said, oh, okay, uh, I don't know what that means. <laughs> and so then I spent the next five months studying for the part 107 test, uh, took it passed. And then that's kind of how I got into the drone industry. Didn't really do much at Terracon, uh, which was the consulting company. Um, we kind of just did more safety compliance over some environmental projects, photos and videos. But then once I got over uh, to Ecoculture at NAU, that's whenever I really started to fall into the, the mapping side, the photogrammetry. I haven't really been too exposed to GIS yet. Me starting school this fall, hopefully I'll be able to keep up with Justin when it comes to the GIS world. Uh, and, and yeah, so I'm just trying to grow my skill set from there. That's really cool. What a great story. And yeah, thank you for sharing. So I I think the biggest point of that question for us is letting people know you don't have to know right now and you can change. You can be X years old and try something new. And I think that's really neat that your, you know, not only your friend at school introduced you to somebody who thought you might be something you'd find interesting, but also to Terracon saying, Hey, wanna be our drone guy? <laughs> that's pretty cool. Yeah, just it I never would have thought about doing it. The drone world's very expensive. Yeah. Uh, I've, I don't think I've ever really been very tech savvy. I know Justin always uses a phrase about when he was going to get ready for graduate school and he told the, the person he didn't know how to unzip a file. And that was me as well. <laughs> uh, so, you know, that, that's just, uh, that was me, but I, I like Justin's experience as well because he, didn't start in college right after high school like I did. Uh, so I've seen his, the way that he kind of transformed with his career growth over the over the years is, is very interesting to me. Yeah, let's hear it, Justin. Break it down. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> so, geez, coming out of high school very, very long time ago. Just uh, a few years. What are you talking about? <laughs> I graduated in well, 20 years ago, 2002. We hear you. <laughs> uh, but coming out of high school, man, I, I was just like scared by the idea of going to college because I didn't really know what I wanted to do when I, grew, when I grew up. And I didn't want to go into debt without having a plan, at least. I actually went to school for massage therapy right out of high school. And I did that as a career for about 14 years. Wow. And uh, in 2010, I moved to Philadelphia just to kind of be closer to some family in, in Pennsylvania. And at the time I started uh, dating my current wife and I just kind of, you know, I, I always loved massage therapy, but uh, being into it that long, I was ready for something new. And I knew I wanted to kind of, you know, choose a different career that would be a little more sustainable before I settled down and had a family. And I was really always interested in in everything to do with natural sciences and, uh, you know, always an avid hiker and just being outdoors, you know, doing all my hobbies outdoors, like, Oh, let's just, what's up? What, what's up with this plant? What's this bark? Blah, blah, blah. Uh, I always wanted to learn about that stuff. And so when I decided to start school in Philadelphia, uh, I started at community community college of Philadelphia and, and just was in an environmental science degree. Cause I was like, all right, well, if I'm going to do this and choose a new path and, I'm just going to do it in something that I'm super interested in so I can wake up every day and have this job, right? And then my wife and I moved back to Arizona in 2015, I think. Uh, yeah, that sounds right. 
and I started at ASU and probably ran into the same dude that that Jacob ran into and you know got introduced to a professor there at ASU by the name of Dr. Eddie Alford and he was like well hey I, I could get you in this internship with the Forest Service and I was like what <laughs> that's a job you know? right and so cool uh, sign me up <laughs> right started the the same program you know that that Jake was in and got super into plants and got super into identifying weird grasses and always talking about plants and I finished my undergrad and I was still interning with the forest service and just kind of on one hand, really scared to like get out into the workforce. You know, I wasn't, I, if I could, I would stay in school forever because I really like learning stuff, but probably run out of money pretty fast. <laughs> and so, uh, but on the other hand, you know, I, I saw a lot in the forest service and Jake and I spent years collecting data out in the field and then we just kind of take it to somebody in the office. You'd take it to the GIS team normally, right? And then those magicians would do something with all of the data and, and put it into something that meant something, right? So that the Forest Service could use that for analysis. And so I wanted to kind of complete that circle. And so I did my uh, master's in GIS to kind of complete that circle, right? And be the person that could go out and collect the data and then actually be able to do something with it. And Crazy as it is, my uh, capstone project was uh, for my graduate program was uh, started with uh, kind of helping uh, this team that I work with now at NAU and the Ecoculture team uh, to start the Lower Salt River Restoration Project. And so that was my capstone project was to go out to the Lower Salt River and inventory and map invasive species on across uh, about 4,500 acres and 11 miles of the river and figure out how to use GIS to do that in kind of an efficient and structured manner, right? And we wrote our first grant then for the Lower Salt River Restoration Project after that fire took place. And it's pretty, it's kind of surreal sometimes to think that, you know, here we are, uh, whatever it is, four years later, still working on the same project. Yeah, I was going to say that's got to be really exciting to have your capstone project, you know, be not only funded, but I mean, you're really making an impact and you know, you've got now students and educators that are aware and engaged. So kudos to you. I didn't know that story either. I'm learning so much about you guys. You guys are so <laughs> humble every other time I talk to you. <laughs> this is great. No, I mean, I think it's so it's, it's so easy to be passionate about because, you know, as you've heard us say, J Jake grew up. Yeah. Uh, kind of recreating that river. And uh, early on in life, you know, I went tubing and stuff and I always thought the river was a really cool place, but I didn't spend a, a ton of time out there. But as I moved back to Arizona and, and just working with the Forest Service and stuff, and that place became, you know, a lot more important to me. And so for us to get to manage this giant project that's sort of in our backyard, you know, and get other people excited about it, it's just a really cool experience. Yeah, I agree. So my last question has to do with ways we can encourage educators to share these opportunities with students now and future employees. Um, and I'm wondering, how do you think that you as STEM professionals can help support educators in sharing that information about the importance of uh, conservation and of public lands? Yeah, I mean, that's really what Green Drone AZ is all about, right? We kind of <laughs> wrote that question to slide that right in there. <laughs> <laughs> But no, I mean, that was the whole point is, again, we we wanted to take this opportunity to use technology and this thing that wasn't foreign to youth uh, and that they were so accustomed to and 
expose them to public lands and to the outdoors through the lens of that technology, right? So if you're someone that's really interested in, in the natural sciences and the outdoors, then, then there is a place for you if you also are kind of interested in technology. And even if you're really interested in STEM, or you want to be an engineer or you name the career, you know, there's plenty of fields in conservation and natural resource management that need those people. And so there's, we just wanted to make sure that students were aware, you know, of those opportunities. And Green Drone AZ uh, is a full program that lets teachers and students engage in the work that we're doing in the real world and teaches them about these technologies, not only how we use them, but how they're used in other fields and even how teachers can use things like GIS to teach, you know, their curriculum, even if they're not in natural sciences or they're not in, you know, any given field. Again, GIS can really be used to benefit any kind of work. So that is really what the program is all about. That's awesome. Any thoughts, <laughs> Jacob? He pretty much said everything that I would have said. So. Well, cool. I'm going to go to you for my final question. So you have this chance to chat with eighth graders. What would you say to them about encouraging new opportunities, new pathways, exploring something that you wouldn't necessarily have first identified with, but getting maybe a little bit out of their comfort zone and exploring, maybe it's nature, maybe they never leave, you know, the indoors. But what would you say to those eighth graders to get them outside, engaging with those cool hairy plants you were talking about, Um, but really to get outside, explore nature, or maybe explore a new opportunity or pathway that might be different than from what their friends are doing or not necessarily the same as everybody else, right? To encourage them to seek outside their comfort zone. What would you say? I have a lot to say. So I'm going to try to make sure that I keep everything in my head. I want to use an example. So when we had a field trip with, they might've been ninth or 10th graders at the, at the, at the project site. Mm -hmm. In the beginning, students are typically kind of timid, shy. They don't want to speak up. A lot of women are typically, oh, I don't want to get dirty or, oh, that's a bug. Oddly enough, by the time you get to the point where we're actually looking at bugs in a tray and touching them, the, the women were so interested and everybody was so just gathered around and trying to figure out what was, you know, what does this bug do and what niche does it fill? I don't know if you necessarily have to try to find a way for youth to get out and find an interest. I think it's there. It's there. You just have to provide that opportunity. Mm. All you got to do is be curious about it. You got to be curious. And I'll say that whenever I was in high school and in junior high, the stereotypical thing to do is to what? To become a doctor, engineer, maybe a nurse. You know, there's, there's these sort of ideal platforms that I think generations, maybe our parents have sort of laid out like, no, you're going to, you're not, you're not going to look at plants. You're going to go <laughs> look at how to be a doctor, right. you know? And so I think as a young kid, I always kind of like push that envelope of, well, what if I don't want to do that? Mm. And so instead of comparing yourself to everybody else, which I'll say is a horrible thing anyways, you know, figure out what your interests are. There is a career out there that you're interested for what your, you know, your interests are. It exists. You just got to do some research and I promise you it's there, whatever it is. 
Yeah, I think that kind of goes back to Justin's point of like, I woke up every day and I got to be out in the forest. That's really, really powerful and something that you're passionate about. I think me being here at SciTech Institute, never knew I could be in this role. And then, you know, my STEM coach at my school said, hey, you should totally check out this job. <laughs> me? So I, I agree. I think that's a great point, Jacob, that you just never know. You have to look a little bit deeper. And, you know, to me, I think Claire and I both stay, stand for, you know, tr just try it once. You never, if you don't like it, you don't have to do it again. But, you know, at least try it. So um, what about you, Justin? Any final thoughts about what would you tell that eighth grader who's kind of maybe I not like showing it, interest? I guess it sounds, it sounds cheesy, but it's like chase your dream, whatever that, whatever you want to do, you can really make it happen, you know? Green Drone Z started literally as a, right. a phone call between my supervisor and me of just like, hey, well, shout out to Boeing. Thanks for funding Green Drone Yeah, thank you, Boeing. Years and get us going. But like, hey, there's this Boeing grant out there. And, uh, you know, can we teach kids about drones? And we want to use drones. So could we do it? And now here we are, you know, a couple of years later on a podcast talking about the work that we do. So, I mean, I think as humans, we have a, an incredible ability to do whatever the heck we want to set our minds for, you know? And so just choose that path and go for it. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks about it. If it's something that you're interested in and it makes you want to wake up and do it every day, then chase it. I love it. Well, to our listeners, we encourage you to get involved in the STEM community. Maybe you're an industry professional seeking ways to make an impact on the lives of others, but you need an opportunity like Green Drone AZ to share your experiences, knowledge, or even an event. Maybe you're a student searching for a mentor like Jacob or Justin, and you want to learn how to fly that drone or get out in the woods. Maybe you're a community collaborator hoping to meet the right people to help make a really exciting SciTech Festival event happen in the future. Claire and I want to help you get connected. Let's definitely fair, ooh, share one final thought and the way for listeners to get in contact with you. So um, do you have a website you don't want to share or emails? Let's start with Justin. Yeah, so uh, you can find us. Maybe the easiest way would be to check out either greendroneaz.com or lsrrp.com, Lower Salt River Restoration Project. Or you can uh, check out our uh, ecoculture website. That's ecoculture.us. And there you can learn about the projects that Jacob and I manage, but also all the great projects that our team manages you know, across the West and all the way even over to Puerto Rico and in the tropics. Our emails are readily available on all of those websites. So that's we want to go to Puerto Rico. We just said we want to go. <laughs> We're trying to get there too. All right, let's all I go together. All the, I got to do project. all the GIS work for Puerto Rico. So I'm just sitting here sometimes in Chandler, you know, like looking at these sites that are on the beach and I'm sending data to my boss like, oh, that sounds like a cool or that looks like a cool place to go work. What about Costa Rica? <laughs> Have you been there? No, I haven't. I've been to a lot of places in Central America, but never Costa Rica. I think we're going to Costa Rica, too. CSO Valentina, I think you might have met, chatted with an incredible woman from Costa Rica while we're at this ecosystem convening, and they said, come over. <laughs> nice. Very cool. Well, we definitely want to thank you both for joining us for this episode of STEM Unplugged. Yeah, oh, yeah. You, you want you want him to say something? Oh, okay. Yeah. Final thoughts. Sorry, Jacob. <laughs> We've got Daryl in the studio like, wait a minute. We want to hear his final thoughts. <laughs> No, no, no. I think that's a, if you go onto the, either of those websites and you go to the contact us page, if you fill out a form, I think both of our emails are also on that page as well, but those messages go directly to our email. Uh, we have a Facebook page 
which is EcoCulture. And then you can find Justin and I on LinkedIn as well if you're on the LinkedIn network. Excellent. Yeah, we love LinkedIn. Well, again, we want to thank you for joining us for this episode of STEM Unplugged, exploring nature in Arizona and beyond. We appreciate both of our guests for being on the show. And if you'd like more information on ways to volunteer or support in organizing an event, let us know. You can check out our website, SciTechInstitute.org, and complete the Get Involved form. A quick shout out to all of the educators, students, family, and community members who've participated in the Ecoculture programs or projects and exploring nature this month. We appreciate your enthusiasm for STEM in Arizona. Thanks for listening. This is your host, Kelly Green, and we would be glad to discuss how you can get connected. Thank you for joining us for this episode of STEM Unplugged. We encourage you to get involved in the STEM community and stay connected at SciTechInstitute.org.